Welcome to Healthcare Beat, a healthcare podcast brought to you by Seifarth Shaw's cross-disciplinary healthcare team. Each beat will focus on key industry trends and the latest developments while identifying practical takeaways for those in this space. I'm Adam Lawton, partner in Seifarth's corporate department and host of Healthcare Beat. Let's jump in. On today's episode of the Healthcare Beat, we're joined by Leon Rodriguez, a colleague at Seifarth and a member of Seifarth's immigration group. Leon, welcome to the Healthcare Beat. Thanks, Adam. Good to be with you. So, Leon, maybe where we want to start is sort of defining the problem. We've come to ask about issues within the healthcare sector regarding its workforce and then how immigration presents a solution. But maybe you can do a better job here than I have of defining the problem and what you're looking at as types of solutions. Yeah. So the problem is one that existed pre-COVID. It was an ongoing challenge over many years, and that became more uh, more intense and more pronounced during the COVID period. You know, we have had in many parts of the healthcare industry a shortage of workers for a long time. So we've been short on doctors, we've been short on nurses. The realignment of our economy during the COVID era intensified that shortage, and so now, for example, I'll routinely be getting calls from long-term care organizations, long-term care facilities, saying not so much that they even need nurses, but what they need are, are certified nursing assistants. They need you know, relatively low to mid-skilled level, and they're looking to immigration as a solution. So this is a you know, problem that's been around for a while. It's gotten worse. Uh, we've been solving it to a degree using uh, foreign workers. That 25% of our physicians in the U.S. now are, are foreign medical graduates. But in reality, I think if, if you were talking to people in different sectors of the medical industry, in fact, there's, there's a need for, for even more. So I think our question for today is, you know, what are the options in the existing immigration framework to bring over different kinds of healthcare workers? And to that question, are there different pathways for MDs versus other types of workers? Absolutely. And in terms of the way the immigration options are structured, there's two basic axes on which they are structured. One is skilled versus unskilled. So there are distinct paths for skilled workers versus unskilled workers. And two, there's temporary versus permanent. And so not surprisingly, the broadest band of options is for temporary skilled workers. So particular skills that we've determined legislation and regulation that we need, particular sort of characteristics of professionals that we've determined we need and that we only need them for a short period of time. And so that's probably the, the, the biggest sort of availability of, of immigration slots are there. And we can sort of spell out what that means practically. But then there are also short-term unskilled and when I say short term, we're talking, you know, the better part of a year. So it's not necessarily, you know, two weeks. It's it's the better part of a year. Short-term unskilled pathways, and then we have permanent, you know, green card options, both for professionals like physicians and then also for lesser skilled workers. So let me, let me put a little meat on the bones as to what that means. So predominantly, when we talk about temporary skilled workers, we're talking about the H-1B visa category. And that is basically defined as individuals who are in a specialty occupation and are seeking to come to the U.S. on a temporary basis, temporary basis meaning cycles of three years, 
to work in their specialty occupation. Now, what's interesting about the H-2B system is that it is a presumptively a lottery system. So there's only 65,000 H-2B slots a year. But in fact, because so many hospitals and other sort of healthcare facilities are affiliated with universities, they may enjoy an exemption from that lottery that is for institutions of higher learning or affiliated organizations, in which case there's no limit. So as long as they meet the technical qualifications for that category, those individuals are able to come in under the H-1B category. And that's why you will see that university-affiliated institutions will be using a significant number of foreign medical graduates, and it's because they can. It's because they have sort of an unlimited cap. They don't have to worry about the lottery. There's also for these very, very large sort of multinational organizations, there's a possibility to do what's called an intra-company transfer. So they may be able to come from sort of an overseas affiliate of a U.S. institution and be able to transfer for up to seven years uh, from the overseas facility. So those are the kinds of options that are available, uh, the, the predominant ones short term for doctors. There's also a special category, the O category, for really exceptional doctors who are perhaps researching in a very specific field and have a high level of achievement in that field. There's also special pathways that could come into play for either Canadian or Mexican graduates for, with, with whom we have specific treaties that may enable them to come over. Now, unskilled actually seems to be the growing temporary challenge that we have. And so that's where we start talking about something called the H2B category. And normally, most people will think about H2B, for example, when they'll go to a resort town where, you know, normally you have very low year-round population, either in the, you know, sort of the winter ski season or the summer beach season, you'll have a big spike in, you know, sort of people coming in to go to hotels and restaurants and that kind of thing. So you need to bring in workers from somewhere else. And so often you'll see those areas using H2B workers. But you can, in a situation of sort of emergent need, bring in healthcare workers to do that sort of work. And regardless of their uh, skill level, presumptively, that would be for a nine-month period of time. And like the H2B, this is, it's, it's lottery control, so there's a limited number of slots. There are also some options that we've been starting to look at for our clients where it can be done on a more extended basis, up to three years based on basically saying that the economy has so realigned over the last two COVID years that we now have a need that we didn't have before. And this is our only option for filling that need. So those are the temporary options. There are also parallel long-term options. So those same doctors, for example, or nurses, by the way, we talked about doctors, but nurses are, are part of the mix as well, who could be uh, coming in under the H-1Bs can then graduate up to long-term options if they're sponsoring institutions are willing to do that for them and sponsor them for green cards. You know, the one thing to note is that there are certain countries where the, the immigration demand has been such over so many years that there is a very long wait time for visas for those countries. So the examples of those are India and the Philippines. China is another one where there's been, you know, sort of waits over many, many years so that becomes a factor for folks from those countries who, who U.S. institutions may wish to sponsor for green cards. But they're also, and this is sort of a, a, a little known and little thought of option until now, 
similar paths. It's a limited number of slots. It's 10,000 slots a year, but there are similar paths for uh, unskilled workers where you could be coming in under what's called the EB3 unskilled category. Now, all of this takes time. So that's one of the things that, you know, sort of uh, institutions need to think about as to whether they pursue these options. So, Leon, that's actually a, a great segue to my next question. So let's imagine here, you know, you are a you know big hospital or nursing home chain or an academic medical center or something like that. And you you decide our normal methods of filling spots out of, you know, domestic work aren't quite panning out. You know, we need to look elsewhere. What are the sorts of things that a group or an institution needs to think about before they're ready to say, yes, let's go find foreign workers? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing you need to, which which data you you will already have been thinking about it, is what do you need and when do you need it? And so what sorts of, of workers you need and, and how soon you need them? I think that's going to define which path. You also need to plan around the fact that it's not like you, you know, you, you wake up in the morning and you say, you know, I'd like workers from Bermuda and, and they're going to be there, you know, next week. There is a time process because there's a, there's a variety of regulatory steps you need to go through to get these visas. So you do need to plan for that time factor. There is an expense factor. And so people do think of the combination of filing fees and legal fees and, and the cost benefit of those and, uh, investments versus the benefit of have, you know, actually having the employee that you're looking for. And there are also internal compliance commitments. And we talked a bit about the H-2B. That's one that in particular commands a high level of scrutiny from the Department of Labor. So it is important to have internal compliance activities supported. You know, typically it's probably best to have them supported by outside either attorneys or other kinds of compliance professionals. So, so those, those are among the different considerations that you want to plan for. But, you know, the reality is a lot of, a lot of organizations are finding that even with those investments, it's worth it because, you know, they're, they're looking at a, at a labor market right, you know, right now and for a long time in the U.S. where they're finding themselves unable to recruit successfully here in the U.S. And what about things we might project over the next couple months, three to five years, next election cycle in terms of changes in immigration law or immigration practices or patterns that would be pertinent to the healthcare industry? Well, I think in the short term, so, you know, if we're talking even the next one to two years, I think to the extent that there's going to be relief, it'll be, you know, more or less nibbling around the edges. So you'll, you'll have, uh, you know, you, you could have some interest either in the executive branch or up on Capitol Hill and sort of at least making the path easier for what are thought of as sort of essential essential workers and either creating certain expedited paths for them or creating certain priorities for them. Those are things that can be done without sort of groundbreaking legislation to help them. In terms of any really sort of structural change, those are probably far off still. And that's something, you know, that you will be hearing about immigration reform packages continuously over those coming years. And those packages will probably have some consideration of prioritizing health workers in them of different kinds. And, you know, this is also sort of a plea to the different sectors to make sure that they're heard. Because, you know, we naturally think about doctors, but in fact, we need lots of different kinds of professionals in healthcare. And so, I mean, I think as those policies sort of develop over the years, it's important to realize, you know, we, we need lots of nursing assistants. We need lots of physician assistants. We need lobotomists. 
you know, just all, all different kinds of professionals. And given where our labor market is headed, you know, we are going to have a need to fill those slots with foreign workers over time. So it's a murky picture, but it is one where advocacy is very important going forward. I'd like to thank Leon for joining me today. We certainly appreciate him sharing his time and insight and expertise in this area. All right, Adam, pleasure as always to be with you. And thanks for inviting me in. Thank you for joining us today for another edition of CyFarth's Healthcare Beat podcast, bringing you the latest developments and pressing issues in healthcare. So you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to visit CyFarth.com, where you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We look forward to having you with us again soon.